This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. The use case we're talking about this week is one that we have not covered frequently. We're talking not about AI for recruiting or hiring, and we have had some episodes about AI in HR over the years, although it's been quite a while. Today is focused on onboarding new employees. What does it look like to upskill, train, and get up to speed our new team members? And how can machine learning help to programmatically generate the right kind of training regimens to make our teams more effective. Definitely an interesting use case, and one that uh, we've covered for the first time here with the Senior Vice President of Global Product Management and Artificial Intelligence at EdCast, Baskar Deca. You may not have heard of EdCast, but they've raised over $100 million, and they have over 400 employees. They're based in Mountain View, California, in the Bay Area. Baskar speaks with us about this specific use case of artificial intelligence for onboarding and training. We also talk about some issues around AI ethics and governance. Uh, some of these topics, I think, become very tropey and become very tired, but Baskar had a lot of candor in this call and went deep on his genuine take on some of those issues and concerns. I think it's Curious to see where and how ethics and governance kind of comes up in our B2B conversations here on the podcast, Uh, but I think Baskar handled it well, and I think this is uh, an interesting episode to tease out some of those issues too. So a unique use case, some ideas on governance, and a lot to talk about and think about. Hopefully you all get a lot out of this episode as much as I did in learning with Baskar when I was recording it. So without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Baskar Deco with EdCast here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Baskar, I'm glad we're able to connect with you here, and we're, we're going to be talking about the big picture of sort of the future of work. I think because of COVID, just how much of what happened in the office now has to happen completely virtually and, and in digital space, it's just gargantuan to think about. You guys are focusing on an important part of that kind of work experience ecosystem. Talk a little bit about EdCast's general value prop, what you guys do, and then we can transition into where AI comes into the picture there. Great. Well, first of all, Dan, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, with COVID, uh, the impact it's having, and, we, you know, around the world, and what it means for the workplace. Uh, so EdCast is actually having a very interesting place in it, if you will, for the big enterprise customers that we have all over the world. So in a very nutshell, what EdCast really is, uh, we are a market leader in AI-driven learning experience platform that allows hundreds of our enterprise customers and millions of users around the world with talent mobility and upskilling. So that's kind of our main area, if you will. And one of the key elements of that is how do we allow our learners who are on on the platform with AI-powered recommendation that provides them with relevant, contextual, personalized, and timely content. So if you are engineer who wants to move into product management, the path you will take with the right kind of learning content when you might be faced with a little bit of information overload is where we come in. We provide you and the organization an ability. We're able to connect internal as well as external contents and then give the timely relevant content for the learner to learn and be upskilled on on the journey that he or she has. Got it. You and I talked a little bit off mic about how this works, and I actually think this is important for the listeners. It's always fascinating for me 
to look at business models. You know, we look at where is the traction of AI, where's the impact, that's the entire business we're in. And a lot of that has to do with how we're applying it, how and where we're applying it. And you folks have an interesting approach here. When I first sort of looked over the website, my presumption was, okay, maybe you're pooling educational resources from all over the web and then people can come in and get recommendations. But the way it works, to the best of my understanding from our off-microphone conversation, and Baskar, I'll have you correct me if I'm incorrect here, but the way that it works is we'll, we'll step into an enterprise. I would imagine these would have to be pretty sizable enterprises to have a lot of course material. You know, there has to be a, a firm with, with a lot of, uh, you know, they, they're signed up for Pluralsight, they're signed up for Udemy, they're signed up for Lord knows what, a bunch of different stuff. You know, some enterprises have a a whole business unit called library, you know, where, where even market mm -hmm. research firms like Emerge might, might sell into. So they've, they've got a repository of a lot of stuff to learn. And it's, it's frankly too much. And you folks will kind of drink in the different content units, whether it's a video or a video course, or whether it's uh, some kind of an ebook guide, or, or I don't know what, what various mediums and, and uh, you guys pull in, if it's audio, text, video, the whole nine yards or, or what it is, but you'll pull all that in. And based on metadata or based on what, what your artificial intelligence can append for metadata and so, sort of by inference, you'll be able to kind of build a sortable, searchable, even recommendable ecosystem of all the educational content assets we have and maybe then break those down by which are applicable to product managers, which are applicable to developers of this kind or this kind or this kind. Mm -hmm. um, let me know how you would refine that, that description. That's me doing a very tertiary job. Clean that up if you'd like. No, you you did an excellent job, Dan. I mean, I know we only had a few minutes to talk before uh, the call uh, about uh, what we do, but you, you had it exactly right. So one way we we talk about it is is almost like being Spotify of learning, if you will. And it's interesting because Spotify happens to be a customer of ours. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, so if you think about Spotify and Netflix, the way you would aggregate the content, and and to your point, you're able to ingest it you know, the different metadata around with it. And then you're able to apply, you know, personalization, hyper-personalization on top of it is how we look at it. Because, you know, big enterprises, to your point, have a lot of content that are already out there. And there are systems called learning management systems, which whether it's compliance-driven, related to career development, you have all of these content silos that are sitting out there. In some cases, within a department itself, you might have different learning management systems and they're, you know, for a special purpose. Then you have this big move towards learning, you know, online learning, people learning on Coursera, Pluralsight, as you said, you know, various different uh, Harvard Business Review and so forth. And you really get into this information overload mode. And if I'm a learner and, you know, a software engineer, I want to move from software engineering to product management, I've seen Sally done it successfully. What can I learn from how Sally had that journey about, using the right kind of content within the organization as well as from outside of it, that, that's where we come in. We have the ability to aggregate that content, you know, with the, to your point, with the right kind of metadata around it. And we do a lot of interesting ML techniques like, you know, natural language processing to extract even more information out of it. And then the other thing we do is, you know, getting a little bit technical on here about skills ontology, which is about you know, skilling, upskilling is a big part of what yeah. enterprises do. And we have the ability to say that these are the contents that are related to data science or related to software engineering versus yep. data engineering. And now we are able to give you pinpointed, targeted content to the user. And that, that's essentially what our big value proposition is.
I like that you brought up ontology. It's not an intimidating word. It's, it's also extremely important. I mean, we've done a lot of interviews and, and even research work with uh, many of the vendors in kind of the document search and discovery space. So let's say we're, you know, a big uh, life sciences firm or an insurance company. It's not just, can we search and append metadata? It's, it's what are we looking for? And in the case of, of your customers, it's not just, oh, great, this has keywords that say this or that or this. No, which of these apply to a product manager? I want to know it by terms I understand. I want to be able to search and find by terms that are referenceable and understandable uh, that, that I would actually use. And so that involves that pre-thought as a human being. I imagine you folks have had to build out across different industries, what are the vertical specific or horizontal kinds of job functions and skills? And then how can you layer that on top of a new, you know, video asset or an ebook or whatever it is that you're categorizing, you have to leverage inference, maybe the text that's in there, the description text, the, the metadata provided to say, okay, with, with 85, 90 something percent certainty, this is a resource for C++ programming, or this is a resource for uh, ensuring yeah. diversity in hiring or something like that. Tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong here. No, no, absolutely, absolutely right. And uh, as you said, the ontology and the skills definition, if you will, if you go, even within the same industry, if you go from one company to another one, one org to another one, the definition of what's a project manager is versus who might, who is an architect is 100%. might vary quite a bit, right? Yes, yes, and yes. then then you then the levels come in. <laughs> you know what's a programmer level one versus level two and so forth. So it's it, it's a hard problem, and companies have different ontologies or taxonomies of skills and job family, as you pointed out. And then there's some industry specific third party providers as well. So what we do uh, then is really have the ability to ingest both some of the you know, cross-industry ontology, taxonomy, as well as what a big customer might already have. But this is how our job family or skills look like. And then provide a layer of what we call skills exchange or crosswalk. Now you're able to say a job or a skill in this particular industry or uh, in this particular vertical is actually the closest match or is in the same neighborhood zip code of another one. And those, you know, again, using good uh, ML techniques, you're able to build those clusters of skills that are kind of together. And now as the contents are coming in to your point, you're able to match or map them into those and, and they become more relevant for you. So again, it's not a easy problem to solve, but with the AI techniques now, it, it's getting more and more better. And we partner with, you know, many different vendors or providers of these uh, skills ontologies and being able to aggregate and provide a more unified view, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I think people underplay or, or, or certainly underestimate the challenge of ontologies. You know, how, how much of that work has to happen before these AI systems can be as valuable as we'd like. I know that in the life sciences space, you know, there might be four ways to you know, scientifically describe this particular protein or molecule or whatever the case may be, and then it's called something else when it's when it's mixed in this kind of a solution. But we would like to, it, it to show up because it does relate to the same thing. And you imagine that spidering out for you know hundreds of thousands of uh, terms and, and whatever else, and it becomes almost unruly. And there's companies that literally sell ontologies in spaces like life sciences, like it's their business. They will literally just sell these complex ontologies. You guys are entering this world of skill where it sounds like you have to build and maintain something similar in order to, to layer that value on top of your ecosystem of, of learning content. 
Absolutely. So what we do is we have, let's call it a EDCAS global taxonomy ontology, which is based on industry standards, but we also do different partners that we have are able to insist that and provide that mapping so that contents as they're coming in, uh, both from inside and outside, are again, harmonized or matched uh, to the same level of skill definition. It's not an easy problem to solve, but we that's where AI comes in, in a supervised, unsupervised, uh, semi-supervised learning, clustering techniques. They provide that foundational things that you need and obviously natural language processing along with it. That's why AI is at our core. I mean, we talk about the fact that, you know, we data is, uh, we you know, doesn't just drive our business. Data is our business <laughs> because, uh, you know, the different contents that are coming in and then applying those techniques on top of it is what the customers draw the value out of our system. Because we are not, con- I mean, there are people who would build some content within our platform. We have this thing called user-generated content. That's only about 10% of it. It's majority of the contents are already out there, you know, whether it's internal or external. We are just providing you a good personalized experience on top of it because we are able to aggregate that and personalize it for you. Um, so, yeah, and... and uh... AI at the core. Fortunately, you guys are a you know Bay Area firm with really substantial vendor backing to be able to invest in the kind of talent to to have AI at your core at that level. And it does sound like from the use case, it's more than warranted and more than needed. So mm-hmm. I guess knowing what you folks do now, maybe we can talk a bit about where sort of AI is transforming the future of work at a high level. You know, we think about you know the coming decade ahead. Certainly, we're not all going back to the office at the same you know, level that we, we were at two years ago, probably never again, anything close to that, as far as we can tell. Where do you see AI continuing to creep its way into the future of work? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. I mean, I think part of it is maybe like take a step back about just talking how there are some other areas which have been accelerated by what we are seeing in the future of work. For example, what, you know, with the, with the remote work, people joining into Zoom as opposed to having physical meeting, what we are seeing is that, as an example, instead of people coming to EdCast platform and link, for example, if you're already in a meeting, you know whether it's uh, Zoom or WebEx or maybe Microsoft Teams, then having that experience where you are able to actually get content where in the middle of a meeting, you know, in uh, Microsoft Teams or Cisco WebEx, being able to find content right there is becoming getting a lot of traction. So we had what we call learning in the flow of work, that ability to you know, do some search while they're writing a PowerPoint document, being able to search through our platform to find the right content on it. We had some of the early versions of it, if you will, but COVID really accelerated that. When people are engaging more on those platforms, they're saying, you know, give me something on the tool that I'm already in, like Zoom and WebEx yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. So we just announced, uh, you know, big partnership with uh, WebEx last week, and we are doing a similar thing with, uh, you know, working a similar thing with Zoom. So I think part of it, what, what I'm saying is that your, in terms of where future work perspective, those digital tools that are becoming ingrained into your experience, I think there is, you know, a lot there. The other one kind of related to that we talked about is, you know, when you talk about skilling, not the fact that people are not there physically and not able to do it, your remote aspect of, you know, mentoring and how you do that and how you, 
you know, tie different folks together with the right kind of skill matches and so forth. There are some partner elements of it, and uh, that we we are seeing that. The other aspect that, and again, it, it's part of kind of evolution of learning is how do you take it from what you have as current based, you know, very data driven learning to maybe getting more into a learning in terms of whether it's, you know, using the industry term of transfer learning versus reinforcement learning, where, again, you're tapping more into the experts in, in a remote fashion, uh, but you're able to draw that. So I think those are some of the things that we are seeing, and we are trying to see how that applies into our area. Interesting. And the first point you brought up about kind of contextual learning, I, I forget what I had seen, some sort of there certainly is a vendor ecosystem for this. It's not an area where I'm presently focused, but there's certainly a vendor ecosystem for this where I'm inside of application X and you know I'm able to be prompted on how to use this software or how to, how to better use this software, how to get something specific done that I'm trying to do, whether I'm in Zoom or I'm in uh, Adobe, whatever. I've heard one vision painted of this where future software firms will sort of have kind of AI baked in at some level where they can kind of tell when somebody's clicking around and lost and maybe they can prompt them. And if they're clicking around and lost and we have an 85% certainty that what they're looking for is how to, I don't know, save a file in a specific way or, you know, perform some specific function, there could be a prompt that says, hey, are you trying to X? And we can have sort of guidance, education, user experience basically guided by, you know, behavior and whatnot. When you think about you know, education per whatever software we're using or, or online experience we're having, how do you imagine it? You know, I, I think software companies probably will tackle some of this themselves, but but maybe there's an idea for outside education layering on top of what we're doing. What What's the future look like there? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, question. So I think that, I mean, you use the right word there. That I think the contextualizing is super critical because many of our investment that we're doing on the AI side, by the way, is goes goes back to those four things i think you know contextual relevant timely and personalized right it's a journey i remember that in from my ai standpoint the amazon recommendation engine paper you know it's like 2003 or something and then you know <laughs> then they have the you know the netflix prize right about um 10 years ago with the big matters factorization so many of that you know if you think about recommendation is still being used so part of it is that it's not so much something revolutionary, but something incrementally how you improve upon it. So those four pillars of contextual rather than timely information, how do you constantly iterate and do on top of it? So again, from a technical perspective, a lot of interesting stuff happening there with deep learning techniques and so forth. So I think that will evolve quite a bit. The one thing that I want to kind of connect related to that is, again, it's present as well as I think more more move towards it is how do you layer in privacy and responsible AI on top of it? Many of our customers, you know, some of the big pharma companies, one of the big uh, biggest pharma companies were a customer of ours, they are one of the pioneers or rather, uh, you know, front runners in this space about how they are seeping in everything related to responsible or ethical AI into it. Because they are asking the question of, as you're building your models, are they bias-free? You know, uh, this classic race, color, creed one. So I think that's one of the, when you make it contextual, on one hand, you want to know more about the person because then you can make it more relevant and contextual. But at the same time, are you making sure that uh, those biases are out of the system? So I think 
that one is one key thing. The other one I would say is, how can you learn from, as a platform, other industries and other customers? And I know that anybody who signs up our platform, one of the first thing they ask is, you know, you guys already have so many other customers, uh, both within my industry as well as across the industries. What kind of insights are you already pre-training your, you know, AI system so that we can leverage that? So this balancing act of having more context with that will help personalization, but at the same time, making sure that the data is private and, you know, you're moving bias out of it. I think that's a very interesting kind of future stand because as you expand more on both of these, you want to make sure that you are having the right kind of guardrails around it. So I think that that's another I mean, trend that I'm seeing. Got it. Yeah. Just to touch on the bias thing, I think there's a lot of considerations there. On the one hand, you know, if I think five years ago, seven years ago, you know, when I first started doing interviews, I'm sort of proud of, I guess, the the AI and tech community for really thinking so thoroughly around the near term kind of social good consequences of, of AI. It's much more than I would have maybe expected. And I think it's it's admirable and great. On the other hand, I think that there's there's kind of a culture bubbling up here around, are we using AI? Yes, no. If yes, walk on eggshells because you might be racist, right? Like the, 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 there's that dynamic coming in, which I, ooh, jeepers crow, I, I hate to tell you, I really don't like. Because I think oftentimes if we're, if we're a bank or a credit union that's, if we're a credit union that's absolutely backwards when it comes to even having our digital uh, transformation journey happen, and we just want to do some kind of document search to like find some files or something, you know, we're, we're looking for, I don't know, some, some vendor agreements, or we're looking for some legal contracts or something to put in place like a, you know, a big AI ethics infrastructure to prevent ourselves from some PR gaffe for, for being sexist or racist for, for just sort of doing AI or even getting ready to do AI feels Oh man, I mean, I don't even know how I don't I don't know how wrong to call that, but it feels astronomically wrong. I think is is one thing, and so I'm sort of you know it's curious in your world. Certainly, you got to be as afraid of the PR stuff as everybody. So I get it. You got to bring it up, but how realistic is it that there would really be those kinds of biases for a learning track? It's like, oh, you know what? We realized it's mostly women in this company who are in, I'm just giving you an example, who are in this kind of sales role, okay? Or they're in this kind of uh, project manager role or something like that. And we're realizing all the guys are getting this women biased, uh, you know, information. Now, of course, it would be, if it was the other way around, it would be problematic. The way I described it, probably you would not have a PR gaffe. But what's the difference there? You know, let's say I'm a Christian or I'm a Hindu or what have you. Man, I got to learn C++, don't I? Like, wh wh where where is risk real here? And where do you have to walk on eggshells eh, just because you're in the public eye and everybody does? I mean, wh wh what parts of this are real in your opinion? That's a great question because th this is one area where, you know, getting a lot of attention, as, as we all know. Yep. So let me, let, me, let me talk about a couple of things there. One is, let's if we separate the privacy part from the ethics or fairness or discrimination part. So the privacy part is super critical, as we know. So anytime we are, you know, I'm going down to the kind of details there, making sure that many of this personally identifiable information we don't use in our model. So that part is, I think, pretty clear that, you know, whatever system you have, when you're getting the data, you're kind of separating it out. So that part is pretty clear. I think when it comes down to the, the fairness uh, or bias in the system, Knowingly or unknowingly, what happens is that one of the key examples is that the data sets that you're getting, right? If you're not careful, you might be getting feeding a data set to your model, 
which is biased towards you know a certain demography or you know have you raised uh, color or sexual orientation and so forth i mean being thoughtful about it that you know the data sets that you're using is actually inclusive and representative to eliminate any possible biases and known discriminatory aspect that i think is is again something that we should do because again knowingly or unknowingly you might be over indexed on 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 your model and that's not only from a pr perspective that will affect your recommendation i mean for us the key thing is am i giving the right recommendation to the content uh, to, yeah, to the yeah, end yeah. user right so it's it's not only good it's a good business also because now your recommendation is better. Yeah. For sure. I mean, look, hey, I, I, I am in, in no way, as I tried to do in, in an ample fashion, I am in no way saying, well, there's no reason to do this. Well, no, I mean, I'm, look, I'm sure there are. I'm, I'm interested in the realistic use cases, but I'm also yeah. aware of the culture that we're in. And what I'm trying to ask you here is at what point have we trained our recommendation engine on what C++ programming course to watch where some kind of an ist, right? You know, sexist. You could fill in the other ones where one of those accusations could be realistically hurled our way. You know, when does project management become thoroughly and robustly gendered? You know, when when does when does Hindu or Christianity sort of make its way into JavaScript? What are the examples where this is? You know, like you said, not just a PR thing, but actually good business. I I, I know it probably is. There's got to be use cases where this is a realistic consideration, but my my imagination is failing me. And I, maybe you could fill me in. Yeah, so I think it's, again, it's maybe if we talk about some of it, so in, in our context, maybe sexual orientation or even, I would say, ethnicity might not be sure. relevant, but if we are, or even race, for, for that matter, but, you know, if we think about gender or, yeah, in, in, in some cases, even the demographic representation of certain, you know, segment of populations versus another, in a, yep. even in a geolocation, that might become relevant so that's why when we are looking at the data sets you know first training the model as you go through the, you know training the model versus testing it those are some of the things we're looking at and again the privacy part is key part of it but when it comes to the ethics part of it it's more about just making sure that we our data is representative of the actual you know population as opposed to maybe biased towards one one segment and i guess do you, do you control for that i mean I imagine you might work with a company in india where you only got so many people that aren't from India that work there. But but uh, do, do you have to make sure that your C++ course doesn't offend somebody who's from uh, East Asia or or who's from America or, or something like that? Because I guess sometimes you work with companies where it's just inordinately filled with younger people. You know, you're in the Bay Area. You've got a lot of companies that the average age is not is not uh, 45 or, or 55, but there's some companies where, where that is the case. How, how do you deal with the fact when that's kind of the general gist of of the company writ large? Do you try to tease out all the minorities in, in age, race, gender, you know, handicap, not handicap, et cetera, and then make sure they all have their own version of the track? Or, or how do we control for that when just sometimes a, a company's composed of X kind of people mostly, and that's just sort of what it is? How do you, how do you juggle that? Yeah. And again, it's an evolving field for us as well. For sure. For I mean, sure. The truth be told, right? I mean, for, uh, for many folks. So we are learning as we go, but and and this time I will get out of the AI engine. I'll talk about more platform accessibility because you, you mentioned yep. that that's a key part of it. So making sure that we are not biased toward uh, you know against it. So we recently got you know yet another certification around it. Uh, so that's one cool, aspect. Cool, cool. And uh, yeah, again, it is is that we are learning as we go, uh, but we are seeing that 
that's something, especially a lot of companies, uh, big companies they're working with, they ask about how yeah. we're including yeah. it. <laughs> Part of it, again, is that data sets are fair and balanced, as well as you know our models are free from any personally identifiable information. Yeah, oh, well, th- certainly the latter. Yeah, I mean, if we can, if we can yank out, you know, oh, I know what Susan has been browsing, and I can use that, at, you know, or whatever the case. Cer- certainly, that's the case. It's still a bit of a mystery here on on where the where the ist accusations come in. But I understand as a vendor company, you're talking to enterprises who are all walking on the same eggshells, and so you, you got to toe the line. But but certainly, there's there's considerations there. And it sounds like like you said, it's a very very evolving space. So curious to hear how you've learned about it, and also really cool to hear about how you're seeing the future of this space evolve. I'm I'm excited to see the future of work head in the direction that you've articulated. And Vascar, frankly, I think the use case that you guys have right now is already a pretty darn cool one. So I know that's all we had for time, but I want to say a sincere thanks for being able to join us and hang with me here on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me and great questions. This is an exciting space. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, learning is a big area. Upskilling is a big sure area. Is, yeah, we, yeah. We, we are uh, doing a major upskilling area for the whole of the, the government of India, in addition to, uh, you know, what we do with big organizations. So very excited about uh, what we're currently doing, as well as the opportunities. Ahead. So thank you again for having me and for a great discussion, Dan. Awesome. Cool, Baskar. All the best. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. And a big thank you to Baskar for joining us on this episode. If you're not already following us on social, be sure to do so. Our LinkedIn and Twitter audience has grown a bunch in the last year and a half, ever since I've started mentioning our social handles here on the show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard on the show, you'll definitely like to be able to see not only all of our latest podcast episodes, but also like to see all of our latest articles, frameworks, and AI trends coverage from Emerge.com, which we put out on social as soon as new material goes live. So stay ahead of the AI curve. You can follow us at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. We hope to have you as a social follower in addition to a listener. Certainly appreciate having you here and I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.